Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson. You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, welcome back, brothers and sisters, to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Dives and myself, Al, are going to ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. This week, we are uh, going to kick off episode 16 with a special guest by the name of Elder Suicide. Certainly glad to have him join us. We're going to uh, give us a review of the season finale of Hulu's miniseries, Mormon No More. We're also going to investigate the BYU student who says he got a stripper pregnant. Well, his mom told him to go get an abortion. Uh, we're going to do an update from the Widow's Might Report on LDS Church Finances and also ex-BYU and current Jets quarterback Zach Wilson's girlfriend is accusing him of sleeping with his mom's best friend. So we've got a really exciting and juicy episode ahead. Um, to start off, um, yeah, uh, thank you for joining us, Dives and Elder Suicide. Pleasure to be here. Great right. to be here with you. Great. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so, Elder Suicide, why don't you uh, let us know a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, uh, what, t- tell us about Elder Suicide. This uh, you, you come from a, a YouTube channel um, called Mormon Suicide. And uh, so what, what's going on with that? Yeah, it's a YouTube channel that I created back in 2015. And the impetus for it was uh, a bit of my backstory. I was born and raised a Mormon, went through seminary, served a mission in Brazil in 04 to 06. Mm-hmm. Then upon returning um, from six, in, within six months, I went from a believing Mormon committed missionary to mm-hmm. completely losing my testimony, living That's a life incredible. of wickedness, mm-hmm. questioning, and doing in-depth study as I had been doing since the age of 14, mm-hmm. studying all the worldviews, and I came to the logical, spiritual conclusion that Christianity was indeed true and reflective of reality. From there, mm-hmm. this was my final attempt to allow Mormonism to speak for itself. I had a, a number of questions that I had locally visiting with the ecclesiastical leaders and then opening it up to YouTube. It was a 150-day countdown to me, for me committing Mormon suicide. That is to say that I removed my name from the records of the church, effectively canceling my priesthood and deeming myself uh, cut off from my family uh, in terms of, you know, so that's why I call it Mormon suicide. Okay, that that makes uh, a lot of sense now. I mean, a lot of people that leave the LDS Church, um, myself included, can very much um, sympathize with your situation and uh, relate to where you're coming from. And now I understand exactly what you mean by uh, Mormon suicide. Um, when that a lot of times that submit that submitting your resignation letter, that is exactly what it can feel like cutting yourself off from family, friends. Uh, the world that as you knew it before. So I, I, I can appreciate where you're coming from there. Um, so what, what's the purpose of your uh, YouTube channel? Um, you know, what kind of videos do you post? Well, first and foremost, of course, as an evangelical Christian, mm-hmm. I'm trying to reach out to true believing Mormons, doubting mm-hmm. Mormons, and guide them through a faith transition, hopefully landing in Christianity. 
Mm-hmm. Try to explain the misconceptions that many Mormons have about Christianity mm-hmm. and teaching Christian doctrine to Mormons and teaching the problems of Mormonism in a very thought-provoking manner. That's my mm-hmm. primary goal. Secondary, secondary to that is reaching ex-Mormons who have then become atheists. As I've read mm-hmm. extensively books published by atheists for atheists and books mm-hmm. published by atheists in general about their paradigm and their worldview. So I have a segment on my channel called Awful Atheist Admissions, mm-hmm. which I highlight some of the most, most awful things that atheists have pontificated. Um, if, if the atheist can go after the Bible in terms of its ugly uh, passages, then I feel full reign to go against the atheists for what they have written. And sure. many times they're not, there are many atheists that I've talked to are not anywhere near aware of what mm-hmm. their own uh, their own ilk have said on certain mm-hmm. matters. Yeah, certainly. I, I know that like when it comes to atheism, there's not um, nearly a, a, any kind of structure. Um, although there are certain prominent atheists, uh, let's see, some of the more famous ones that they would put out there would be Christopher Hitchens or, uh, let's see, who would say other one that I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah, so you have Four <laughs> yeah. Horsemen, you have Dawkins, Hitchens. Yeah, Dawkins is that one. Bennett. And yeah. for me, those are pretty much lightweights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really uh, consider them intellectual lightweights with probably Dennett being the most prominent or most robust. Mm-hmm. Whereas I go to uh, the more sophisticated, philosophically trained atheists, Nietzsche, Sartre, Camus, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and the like. Yeah, exactly. When you get into the the uh, big philosophers, and these are the types that uh, those such as Dawkins and Hitchens would refer to. So I can understand why you'd uh, refer to them as lightweights. Um, all right. And uh, so how's the response been to your YouTube channel? The result, the response has been overwhelming. I I feel very blessed by what it has achieved in its short period of time. You know, about five thousand views every mm-hmm. month. It's mm-hmm. minuscule, but it's impactful. Yeah, and well, you get the range from true believing Mormons trying to either mm-hmm. ask you sincere questions or try to attack your position to ex Mormon atheists doing the same. So, yeah, for sure. As, uh, as I say, I'm an equal opportunity offender. All right. Well, we're we're certainly glad to have an equal opportunity offender here with us. And um, you know what we have always tried to do here with uh, our Mormon News Roundup is uh, provide a nice um, uh, discussion area where people, uh, regardless of where you're at on the spectrum, can come together and um, just look at some of the more interesting news topics that are relating to Mormonism. So whether you know you're true believing or uh, or anti and out or uh, atheist or wherever you're at, um, yeah, come and talk with us. We'd love to talk with everybody about uh, what's going on in this in the Mormon, in the world of Mormonism, uh, rather, that's why we call it ruminating on the great and spacious beehive. That's a phrase that Dives coined, and I love it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start us off with our newest segment on uh, the show is the Mormon joke of the week. Are you guys ready for this one? Yes, I'm absolutely. Okay, so um, I've uh, come across a joke that uh, involves three travelers. There's a... Um, uh, a rabbi 
and a Hindu and a Mormon missionary. And they're all traveling together, but it gets late and they uh, find a local farm and they decide they're going to ask for a room for the night, seek some refuge in this farm. So uh, the farmer says, okay, well, I've got room for two people in the house, but one of you is going to have to bed up in the in the barn. So the Hindu says, well, okay, you know, you guys go ahead and take the, the house. I'll, I'll go bed down in the barn. Uh, goes out there, and then a few minutes later, there's a knock on the farmer's door, and the farmer answers, and the Hindu says, I- I'm sorry, I there, there's a cow out there in the barn, and, you know, cattle are really sacred to my uh to my religion so i just would not feel uh comfortable or worthy to share um to share a bed with a, a such a holy being so you know so the rabbi says well that's fair if you know i'll go out there into the barn i have no beef with cattle and uh then a few minutes later the there's another knock on the door and the rabbi's back and he says oh, you know there, there's a pig out there in the barn and i i really it's you know forbidden in my culture to uh, have anything to do with pigs. So I, I just can't do it. And so that leaves the Mormon missionary. And so he goes out there. And then uh, a few minutes later, there's another knock on the door. The farmer answers the door and there's uh, the, there's a cow and the pig. And they say, man, this guy out here just keeps wanting us to read his dang book. Can we come in? Yeah. <laughs> Very nice, Al. There you go. <laughs> so there's our joke for the week. That's good. That's good, Al. Uh, let's just give you a couple of follow-ups here. Uh, today's yeah. here. Uh, now, mm-hmm. all of our uh, podcasts have a Spotify questions and also polls. And somebody mm-hmm. responded last week to one of our polls from our last episode. And we discussed in our last episode, why are there so many ex-Mormons on Reddit? As a proportion of population, they're way overrepresented. And somebody wrote in uh, that, uh, quote, there are continuing need for community support and connection after resigning. When one structure uh, support structure is left, another is found. Plus, it's easier to vent online somewhat anonymously. And I thought that that was a really good uh, response. So for any of those out there who are listening to this podcast, you can interact with us by going to Spotify and uh, engaging with the polls and the uh, open-ended questions that we put on there. I just also another follow-up is we had Christina on from Latter-day Ramblings mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I-, I listened to some of her podcasts. I'd like to highly recommend those. Uh, my goal for this uh, next couple of months is I'm going to try to make my way through the Naked Mormonism podcast and also uh, the Year of Polygamy podcast. Uh, both of those, uh, they're, they have like 100 podcasts, but I think I can yeah. do it. So I'm kind of a podcast addict. So that's a couple of follow-ups from last week. Any other uh, follow-ups that I neglected to mention now? Yeah, shout out, shout out to Bryce there at the Naked Mormonism. Oh, uh, certainly. You and I have, uh, mm-hmm. have uh, gone, gone toe-to-toe for sure. In, um, oh, have you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. I, I've listened to uh, Naked Mormonism. Excellent podcast. Bryce is very well read up on and very thoroughly studies the topics he, he goes on. And also the year of polygamy. Um, I'm not as familiar with it, but uh, from it has excellent reviews. So definitely a couple shout outs there to Bryce and to the year of polygamy podcast. Um, so Naked Mormonism and... Um, yeah, good luck to you, Dives. This is going to be an amazing year for you, I think. <laughs> I, have, I have a lot to learn, and I think those are a couple of good sources for me to learn. So um, Excellent I, ones, yeah, excellent. I got to increase my knowledge. So uh, some of the news articles from this week, our first article here, we're just going to cover this extremely briefly, is that the Logan Temple, this was published just today, uh, July 15th uh, by Charles McCollum, staff writer on hjnews.com. And it says, goodbye green, Logan Temple lets iconic lawn go dormant to save water. And to my knowledge, this is the first temple that has gone uh, brown 
uh, as far as trying to conserve water. Now, some of the meeting houses have gone brown, but I do yeah. not believe that any of the temples have. Now, they're keeping a green section close up to the temple so that mm -hmm. if you're getting married, you can have, I mean, if yeah. you're getting married, you really don't want to have a brown, brown lawn. I mean, that, I, I was married in the Mount Timpanogos uh -huh. Temple, and I don't think uh -huh. I would have appreciated a brown lawn. But uh, mm -hmm. what do you got? What, any quick reaction to this uh, brown temple? We're going to see more of this, guys. Uh you know, right off the bat, I, uh, my wife and I took a, a drive up to Pocatello last week, and we decided, well, let's go through uh, Cache Valley, and uh, we wanted to see the the site where the Smithfield Temple is going to be. And I'll I'll tell you something that I'm really surprised with is that they've already broken ground, and they're like they have a huge hole there already, ready to put uh, that temple footing in and and get it going now. I, I bring this up mostly because I'm a little surprised at, you know, how many temples have been announced in years past. And this one was just announced recently and already they've started construction. Um, I didn't notice that the Logan Temple had gone brown, but that's been a week. So um, I, I think that uh, that's probably just uh, the LDS Church trying to be a little bit um, environmentally uh, responsible. So good for them for that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice sentiment. If you're in the middle of a drought, you shouldn't be using too much water on these things. And you're going to see other temples mm -hmm. also go brown, as well as some of yeah. the meeting houses. Uh, it's just a brief article there. What about our next one, Al? Okay, um, moving on. So, uh, yeah, Andrew Garfield is getting nominated for an Emmy for playing the Mormon detective uh, Jeb Pyre in, or Pyre in Under the Banner of Heaven. This one comes from the Salt Lake Tribune. And... Um, He's, uh, you know, he's got a really good uh, set of acting chops on Andrew Garfield. I don't think he'll win the Emmy. Um, he's up against some pretty big ones like, um, let's see, Michael Keaton from Dope Sick uh, and Colin Firth from The Staircase. So there's some really good uh, uh, nominations out there. I don't know that uh, Andrew Garfield's acting job was enough to get him the Emmy, but he really shined when it, come, when it came to the the crisis of faith moments. Um, other than that, his representation of um, an authentic LDS person was uh, close, but just as close as someone who's never had anything to do with the church can get, I think. Let me ask you, Elder Suicide, is Andrew Garfield deserving of an Emmy for his Under the Banner of Heaven role? Nomination, I'll grant you that. Uh, I have a very strict criteria. I call mm -hmm. movies masterpieces, and uh, you can take this mm -hmm. as you will. There's the five mm -hmm. criteria. The acting has to be on point, including the extras. The script has to be mm -hmm. on point. Storyline has to be on point. Mm -hmm. uh, soundtrack has to be on point. And you have to go through every human emotion during the course of the movie. For me, those are the five criteria I've used to mm -hmm. rate movies and or shows. And this one uh, certainly falls short of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I think that he probably won't win it. Good actor. Uh, but I just don't think he did the same job that Michael Keaton did um, portraying a doctor that gets uh, hooked to opioids. So, Yeah, and Andrew Garfield has already uh, inked his next contract for his next big, uh, big uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, movie, and he's going to star as Richard Branson in Hot Air, which is a limited series that's going to be released. So he enjoys playing these uh, rather eccentric characters. Uh, mm -hmm. It seems to be his uh, uh, cup of tea, I guess. Seems to be. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, we're ready to go on and talk about the first juicy uh, article of this uh, week. You bet. 
All right, BYU alumni uh, Zach Wilson, who is the current quarterback for the Jets, is um, making a big trend on Twitter. So, yeah. so uh, the New York Post actually uh, posted to Twitter and said um, he's been accused by his ex girlfriend of uh, ha- of sleeping with his mom's best friend. Oh um, no. Yeah. So did, did a little bit of delving into the past with, and uh, hey, what can I say? Zach Wilson's got some mojo, okay? The guy, he, <laughs> when he was in high school, he took two BYU Cougarette cheerleaders um, to prom, to see his senior prom. And he wasn't even in college at the time. So, as know. a high school, well, that's polygamy, right? That's, uh, that's yeah. uh, nothing wrong with that, right? Exactly. I myself took two, uh, two dates to homecoming, but that's because, you know, the poor one poor girl got stood up by her date and didn't want her to feel left out. So, yeah, that's why <laughs> you have good arms, right? Yep, exactly. And we still had a great time. Although I'll, I must say between all the dancing, you know, one day to the other, we had a pretty group, good group of friends and, you know, the girls, uh, somebody got to sit out every once in a while, but boy, all the boys were busy. <laughs> so what is, his, what is his relationship <laughs> status now? Is he still with his girlfriend? What is going on? Why no, is this trending? It, what's what's no, happening? It, it's his ex-girlfriend. Uh, the, this is trending because, you know, it just kind of blew up like, oh, well, you know, he's been chasing cougars even before he was a cougar and even when he was a cougar and now after he's a cougar. And uh, so, you know, the guy likes cougars. What can I say? Uh, his mom, on the other hand, has, um, has refuted it and said, no, he never had a sexual relationship with that friend. So Aww. she's, she, she's effectively ruled out one friend <laughs> that, uh, is, I, he gets around, doesn't he? It sure does. I, you know, and he was, uh, he, he took, um, the jets up to some, uh, ranch in Idaho, uh, for a pre, uh, camp, um, you know, retreat. And, you know, they just had a good time relaxing. And so he re- responded on Instagram. He came back and said, yeah, uh, self reception was sketchy while I was up there. What did I miss? Yeah, well, he, just, <laughs> he missed blowing up Twitter. Uh, he missed blowing up the entire news articles in Twitter. I mean, yeah. It's just incredible. And this is not the first uh, series of allegations, I guess. It's just been the latest of the spectacles that have surrounded yeah. the young quarterback who mm-hmm. uh, people, I mean, you look at him, he is the, like the most wholesome, handsome Mormon mm-hmm. guy in the world. He's like the poster child mm-hmm. for a handsome Mormon guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the epitome of that uh, return missionary look that all the yeah. uh, my mates uh, just dream of going to the temple with someday. So uh, he's he's dreamy. You know, what can I say? But, uh, you know, uh, with regards to, like, uh, BYU football team and uh, the law of chastity, it's always been kind of a, a little muddied area there. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, I you know, mean, it, hey, Al, yeah. breaking the law of chastity is no laughing matter, right? No, it isn't. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that gets any average student, ex- or, well, you know, not necessarily excommunicated, but definitely expelled. Um, how, know, much, because, how much restitution does he have to give in terms of tie to atone for these? Yeah, that, that's these the other thing. Yeah, I don't uh, know for sure where he stands on, uh, you know, is he still going to church on Sundays? Is he still paying his tithing? But yeah, there's got to be some amount of restitution uh, there, I would think. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the the woman that he's accused of sleeping with is uh, 49 years old, and he is what? What mm-hmm. is he like? 23, I want to yeah. say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, so I mean, yeah, he's really that, making that, the rumors. This is really trending all over the place. Yeah, I think the metric. I think the metric among FLDS. This is just a joke, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, yeah. Half grade plus seven. I think it is right. Yeah, that seems <laughs> it seems to be right. And uh, yeah. you know what can I say? Stacy's mom has got it going on. Yeah, so. she does. Uh, you look at the pictures. Uh, she's got it going mm-hmm. on. Zach Wilson's got it going on. I mean, basically, yeah. people are saying that the Jets should change their mascot to the Cougars. You know, you get it. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean. Exactly. Uh, beautiful people are just supposed to mate together, I guess. It's an uh, yeah. law of nature. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a BYU alumni myself, I mean, this brings a whole new meaning to the uh, term Cougar Nation. That's not exactly mm-hmm. what I thought Cougar Nation was supposed to be, Al. Yeah, or or maybe Cougar Town. Um, what was that? Yeah. Co- Courtney Cox uh, show that was there for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, according to what I was looking at on Twitter, has a trending of what's trending every day. Zach Wilson made it into the top 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, so as far as famous athletes are concerned, as far as professional Mormon LDS athletes who mm-hmm. are currently active, yeah. um, is it safe to say that he's the number one most famous Mormon athlete who's currently suiting up the uniform? Is that be accurate? I, I think he's the most famous since uh, Steve Young. Uh, I, yeah. I think if you did a poll of Steve Steve Young, that was a long time ago. If you put no, a poll and he up, never had that kind of controversy either. <laughs> Yeah, if you put up a poll of Steve Young versus Zach Wilson these days, I I, I think that Zach Wilson may come out on top. He may I be the most famous. Right. He may be the most famous Mormon athlete. Mm-hmm. I don't know of all time, and he's yeah. embroiled in all of these uh, uh, sexual scandals. And I I don't know if the church is uh, really going to look too kindly to uh, Zach Wilson here. No, but uh, you know, then again, um, it seems like there are different rules depending on uh, what your status is and how high up. Uh, or how popular and famous you are. So, you know, mm. yeah, so I mean, uh, we, we might have to reach out to him uh, via, via Instagram there and send mm-hmm. him a direct message and say, how many DMs you getting from, from uh, attractive young, young mm-hmm. women there on your Instagram. That should, that should yeah. be a telling marker. I think that's a great idea. And I, myself being a middle-aged dumpy white guy, um, I will, I will head that up. Okay. Yeah, but I, I mean, he's living. He's. Li- I guess he's living a lifestyle that I can't even conceive of. That's all I can say. His life and my life—they are in no way, even remotely, uh, connected. So, yeah, uh, we so wish true. him the very best. But he—we're uh, going to hear more about Zach Wilson at the very end of the podcast. So we'll save the best mm-hmm. for last on him. Yeah. So uh, let's go through our next article there, which is uh, the Mormon No More season finale. Here, uh, Al, can you walk us through uh, what's going on with that? Yeah. Okay. So the the finale's here, and uh, final episode. It's our fourth week, fourth episode, and boy, am I glad to um, I'm, am I glad to report on this one, but at the same time, glad to say goodbye to it as well. Um, it, it just it's not been my favorite, but you know what? I I've been really excited about the um, the side stories, and I think I haven't really made that a, a secret as we've been talking about this. They have some really compelling stories. I just feel like their main focus story isn't all that compelling to me. But, you know, that's how it goes. This one comes from uh, Gaiety.com, and uh, Caitlin McDaniel is the author of this one, posted on June 27th, um, where she uh, goes up through the whole thing and, uh, you know, talks about some of the different things that happen. Uh, I guess this is a pretty significant uh, story for someone who discovers later on in life um, what their authentic sexuality is, it can be a real uh, life-altering thing, a big life-changing moment. It certainly rocked all of the worlds of the people involved in this story, 
um, you know, my wife and I, it's, it got us talking about it and, you know, what would happen if, uh, if say she were to, uh, discover that she was, uh, you know, a latent, uh, lesbian and decided that she would need to go and marry somebody else. I'd say, well, that that's okay by me as long as I get to come with, you know, cause that's just it is, you know, I, I love my wife regardless. I want to be with her all the time. And so, you know, for these uh, ladies, Lena and Sally, to just pop this on their husband and say, "Oh, we met somebody at church, and uh, we want to, we 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 want to be together, us, and not you." So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a wild ride watching these ones. Um, yeah, so the, there's four there's four <laughs> parts to the uh, this particular episode. So yeah. let's talk about this first section. As the upcoming mm-hmm. nuptials are approaching, the stress is mounting, and Sally gets cold feet, and they're arguing about the money for planning, mm-hmm. and they're fighting over the planning details. This is like the first conflict that we've seen in the show. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about that first uh, section, Elder Suicide? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, it's pretty hard to stomach for me as an evangelical Christian. I think when I when I analyze psychoanalyze Sally herself, she seems to be a very depressive person altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, very hurt, traumatized uh, in comparison to Lena. And I think, quite frankly, as the years go on, that'll be the source of uh, more discontentment. That's just going to mm-hmm. be my prediction. Uh, you know, divorce rates among. Uh, the LGBT, QQIA, PPP+, 2S movement as akin to, you know, heterosexual couples. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But I think uh, uh, Sally's going to be that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely have to agree with you on that, Elder Suicide. It's as, uh, I, I'm looking at this just, uh, the, you know, Sally, it seems to me that when she and Lena are talking about the wedding and the, the wedding preparations and stuff and looking for uh, like shopping for wedding dresses and stuff. Um, Sally, I don't think Sally really understood going into this, that she was not going to be the bride. She is uh, very much the groom in this marriage. And uh, you know, that I, I don't know if that's the way it has to be, but it's definitely the, the role that she took on and it seems like she's kind of butthurt about that. She didn't want a traditional wedding, but that's exactly what Lena wanted. She wanted the traditional wedding. She wanted, you know, her family there. She wanted her dad to walk her down the aisle and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, Sally's just like, well, no, this isn't what I want at all. But, you know, okay, if that's what you want, I'll go along with it. And so I see that, you know, even inside Sally, there's a lot of struggle because, you know, I I keep seeing her trying to look for uh, like some sort of masculine strength to hold on to, and and then she kind of realizes that she's actually the one that's supposed to have that masculine strength, that's supposed to be that in the relationship, and uh, it it's kind of mind blowing to her when those moments happen, but they do happen from time to time, and you know, there's no secret about it when you watch. Yeah, and the there's a, a side plot in this particular episode which talks about a bisexual, multi-racial uh, uh, ex-Mormon who contends with bigotry. So her name in the series uh, is Polly Mendoza. So she uh, is, uh, you know, she's Latin American. I, I believe she's from Central America. I'm sorry, I forget which yeah. country. Uh, Bolivia. Right. She's, yes. Thank you. Yeah, she's part Bolivian, and her uh, father 
No, her father's Bolivian. Her mother, I believe, is uh, from Europe. Yeah. And I, yeah. And she uh, uh, she tells her bishop she um, she tells her bishop that she's pregnant with her unmarried boyfriend, mm-hmm. who's not yeah. a member, by the way. And the mm-hmm. bishop says to consider giving up the baby for adoption. And it goes through her uh, pain and struggles. Mm-hmm. And what really resonated with her was the fact that she uh, uh, reviewed those Brad Wilcox tapes that talked about the racism in the mm-hmm. church and the sexism. And those type of things really bothered her. How, how did yeah. you feel about that second segment, Elder Suicide, about uh, Polly Mendoza? Yeah, that was really, that was the most captivating portion of the entire episode. And, you know, Brad Quilcox is just your fun, your rank and file fundament, strong fundamentalist, or what we would call a hard fundamentalist Mormon mm-hmm. yeah. to make that assertion that he made. In his mind, it makes perfect sense. Obviously, to the outside world, it's, it's deeply offensive. And now with Polly herself, and it is, uh, what I really enjoyed was seeing that the handbook was detailed on the show, where in this situation, the church's policy, official policy, is that the baby be given up for adoption. And of course, going through the, the Bishop Roulette, uh, the judge of Israel apparently deemed it such that those circumstances were fulfilled. So. Well, I think that the church handbook, first of all, says that every effort should be made to uh, let the couple get married. I, I believe that that is what the church handbook says. And in the event that that does not happen, I believe that the handbook says that the bishop should, says that the person should consider giving the baby up for adoption. I believe that that is what the handbook uh, uh, That's discusses. correct. That's correct. No doubt about it. Thank you for balancing that. And um, it, nevertheless, I think to the, the policy itself um, – if the couple can still remain together or shacked up as long and even though in the eyes of the law the father is going to get uh, he signs the birth certificate it's his baby mm-hmm. at the very least he's going to have to pay child support yeah this is a really a heartbreaking section the, the emotions that she has to go through the discussions with her bishop about this very sensitive topic and uh, it's just this is one of the most emotional uh, subplots that we've seen, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is the one that just really broke me down, this uh, Polly uh, Mendoza. Uh, that poor girl going through what she was going through and then to be told what she was told, um, you know, that it was it, that was the only solution. She had to put the baby up for adoption. Thankfully, she did not listen to that advice. She kept her child, and uh, her she has a beautiful daughter, and uh, still has a good relationship with uh, the the girl's dad. I, I don't know that they ever got married, but it doesn't seem to really matter when they tell the story. You know, whatever his role is, he's present, he's there, and he's active in their lives, and they're having a great time as their own little family. Yeah, I think what this series really highlights, it's, it's trying to find uh, the times when it seems like the church is asking people to choose, do you want to choose the church or do you want to choose your family? That seems to be the major subplot of all four episodes. And this was an example where, again, the bishop is saying, you know, give up your baby. So you're saying, do you want to choose the church or choose your baby? I know it's a little more complicated than that. But if you boil it down, I think that's how Polly felt about it. And she says, well, I'm choosing my baby. Therefore, I can't choose the church. And that's, I think, what a lot of this entire series is all about. Yeah, seems to be. 
And that also is in the third segment as well. The third segment of this episode says that Sally's mom reveals a big surprise about her lifelong faith. What was the big surprise that Sally's mom has? Mrs. Osborne. Uh, so Mrs. Osborne, her, her big surprise is that she went out and bought a new dress for the wedding. And okay. this new dress is not, um, shall we say, temple appropriate. It ha- it's it's missing sleeves. But let me tell you something. This was, I mean, as far as the main story goes, and maybe this isn't part of the main story, I, I would consider Mrs. Osborne um, to be almost one of the side stories here. But you see the look on her face. She is so happy to be wearing this dress. Her husband and son are both just uh, in enthralled with the fact that it doesn't have sleeves they're kind of shocked kind of at the same time they're shocked but they're also excited about it you know like hey good for you because she just looks like she's so happy she's like this is the first time i've ever worn something that showed this much skin and she just felt cute she felt pretty you know she was having a great time and she was really excited about you know being part of her daughter's wedding yeah, so, and we're just talking about a little bit of shoulder here. We're not talking about anything too dramatic here. Oh, no, not like uh, Lena's wedding dress. No, no, that, no. There was a lot of skin uh, visible in Lena's wedding yeah. dress. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing how much excitement that she got over with just simply showing the fact that she is wearing an outfit that shows a little bit of her shoulders. That is just incredible yeah. to me. I mean, I'll, I'll say I'll, I've said it once. I'll say it again. I think the day... Um, you lose your testimony the day you take your garments off. Yeah. That's when you're basically officially over with the church. Yeah, I think you're right. People. That's the day that it comes, the reckoning comes. That that could be the last thing. It's either that, elder suicide. I, I agree with you that that is uh, the case for some people. But I think the case for other people is the last day that you write a tithing check. I think it's those two things that really um, is the last me- – those are the last two mental barriers to people leaving the church. Yeah, I, I can uh, I can see both of you guys' point, and I'm with you guys. And, and what I find amazing about the segment is that not only did she wear a, a dress that's showing her shoulders, but both Osbournes, both mm-hmm. uh, Mr. and Mrs. Osborne, are leaving the church. I did not see this one coming at all. It was a surprise. I don't know, did, did you guys see that coming, or, or am I the only one who missed that? The it seemed like this uh, whole journey happened so fast. Um, I mean, th- we're dealing with things like they mentioned uh, some things as recently as May of this year, 2022. And I mean, shoot, in May we had this podcast going. I mean, this is very recent stuff that uh, has been brought out. And they said, you know, the Osborne parents said, yeah, we uh, we've got looking into. Some things we did a lot of reading, a lot of studying, look into you know church doctrines and histories, and we just decided that this uh, this church no longer is something that we uh, align our beliefs with, so we're going to leave. Yeah, that was a big shock to me. I just did not yeah. see that coming at all. Big um, shock. Yeah, I mean, because they were arguing in earlier episodes about the Mr. Osborne said specifically in an earlier episode that the church is what brings people together. It's the only way to get to heaven. It's the way that families are supposed to be, is you're supposed to be in the church. And then the next, in two episodes, they're gone. Wow. That's how, that's, how does that happen? It seemed like it happened so fast. Yeah, it, it was a very, uh, very fast moving moment. So, um, but it was exciting too. I mean, to see where these guys were at and the whole future to them looked bright. I mean, they all, uh, approach this embracing 
this um, this new marriage uh, that was between uh, two women. And, you know, they looked forward to whatever the future was going to bring to the Osborne family as though it could only be positive. So good for them. Once again, the theme of the entire series, it seems like that the the show producers are trying to find areas in which members of the church need to choose between family or church attendance. And for me, it felt like the Osbournes said, you know, in order to support our daughter, our family members, that it felt like I had to choose between the two. I couldn't support my family and pay tithing to the church at the same time. And I needed to choose my family. That's kind of what it felt like to me. Uh, that's exactly the line that Sally drew. Um, she said, yeah, you, you can't pay tithing to a church that uh, says that I'm an invalid human being. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where they came from. And the series finally culminates in the final wedding day. Obviously, we've had four episodes to build up to this. And, you know, the big part about this that, that struck me was Linda's family was Italian. So in their as opposed to Sally's family, which is, you know, they were true believing members. So when they when <laughs> Lena got married in the temple back, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I'm not exactly sure, yeah, the right. Italian family couldn't attend her first wedding and how damaging and how stressful and how upsetting that was for them and that they were just so ecstatic that they could attend this wedding because it was not in a temple. Yeah, exactly. So this was uh, a big moment for them for sure. Yeah, how'd you feel about the wedding ceremony, Elder Suicide? Quite frankly, confused by the entire thing. Um, I just uh, hold a, a traditional view of marriage. And for me, is to, to try to, when you hear the words uh, two wives, uh, when one of them is uh, trying to have that masculine role, uh, during the course of the episode as well, you see a sort of uh, authoritarian position taken by Lena asking for submission from her partner. That's always, that's an interesting dynamic there as well. When she she appears to be the more feminine role. Mm-hmm. And um, so th- those things were, were trying to, trying to digest for me. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious to see what uh, Sally's feelings are going to be when she finds out that Shane is uh, you know dating other women now because it seems like Shane's gone gone through this process of you know he was pushed into a divorce that he didn't necessarily want it but what could he do and now you know he's he doesn't want to be alone for the rest of his life so he's out there looking he's dating I'm curious what that what uh, Sally's feelings are going to be about that and it kind of seems like Shane has moved on but Paul hasn't yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of reading between the lines there, but it seems like that 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 yeah. you know that he, oh. he just he he wishes he was back in the relationship. I know. Well, yeah. I mean, he wants to be supportive, and I, I really identify with Paul. I think that I would probably take a, a Paul approach if I was in that situation. I want to be supportive of my wife and my spouse. You know, the love of my life, and you know. That's one of the things I thought was a little cheeky as they referred to. Oh, yeah, you're going to be, you know, there with the love of your life. And like, this is both of you guys' second marriages. So, I mean, we I don't feel like either of them have the right to really use that term, love of my life. Uh, but then again, you know, uh, it's not my, you know, not my circus, not my monkeys. So. 
Yeah, my wife watched this episode as well. She gave a couple of comments that I'd like to close out with, and she said that it's un, it's unrealistic to expect all or any of your uh, any or all of your kids to follow the exact same path you did or are currently devoted to. And then only having examples of old white dudes who have been married once are currently married, and all of their kids are sealed to spouses. That's not healthy or inclusive. So I mean. If we if we if the church perpetuates a single one size fits all, this is the way that marriage is. You're white. You're you know, you're, everyone is always in the church. Everyone's always happy. Nobody has any questions. Nobody has any doubts. Then as soon as the ripples of life come along, then things uh, then that's where trouble began. So uh, that, that was her, her feedback for everybody. And of course, the church itself declined to comment for the show. Um, which is unfortunate because you know, when I think about the church, I think, okay, this is the time that they're asking you about this episode. This is the time for the church to come out and say, hey, the proclamation is the word of God, and this is the way that things should be, and this is this is God's official stance. I don't understand why you would be inclined to comment for a show when your purpose as a church is to preach the gospel and spread the message. If someone wants to know what your message is, why don't you give them the message that they were wanting to be seeking? That I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Fair points. I would really love to meet your wife someday because I I find those uh, thoughts that she had to express very uh, provoking, and uh, I would I would really like to talk to her sometime. That sounds like a really well thought out um, thoughts. Hey, Elder Suicide, any other thoughts on this entire series before we wrap this one up? Yeah, I mean, I think the only the last thing, of course, is the children. That's the that's probably the one thing that. that I really worry for um, statistical studies, sociological studies show uh, there's even people in the, in the movement uh, itself that advocate that, that know that the studies state that uh, male husband, female bride is the mo is the best situation to raise children in. And, you know, I think that's what the husbands are are looking at as well. The angst that they feel, the stress that they feel to have the children in the situation that they find themselves currently in. That's seven children between the two, uh, the Lena and Sally. So I think that's the, that's the one thing that gets kind of lost in this entire episode. Uh, but you'll, but we'll see the ramifications here down the road. Yeah. They certainly didn't highlight the children and their experiences at all. Yeah. They were never even named, really. No, and I understand not naming. Uh, well, they, they named them in the, in the first episode, I guess. But uh, oh, okay. You know, I, I know a lot of times, you know, when it comes to minors, that they try to protect them as much as they can. But uh, yeah, this um, I, I completely agree with Elder Suicide on that one. It was a matter of uh, you know, <laughs> the, the the kids are secondary to mommy and mommy, you know. In this, and that—that's what's really bothered me about this, uh, this whole show from the beginning. It's just uh, if if people don't revolve around their entire world and life around these two women, then you know, then they're painted as the bad guys, and I just don't think that's fair. Okay, thanks for your thoughts, uh, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, Elder Suicide. You you found an article this week that uh, tickled your fancy about Mormonism, and we're hoping that you can uh, uh, let us know what it is yeah, and so why you think it's in interesting. In the vein of the uh, the more the YouTube channel that I represent, you know, I like to take on the doctrinal matters of the church and sort of interact with them. 
This article here is, is entitled, Girls Should Be Passing the Sacrament, period, full stop. Ex- should be exclamation point by Sam Brunson, not of uh, by common consent. Uh, it's a more very prominent Mormon blog. And basically, his whole impetus for this is that in his home ward, due to COVID, there are a diminished attendance, a small amount of priesthood holders to pass the sacrament, and he has two daughters. So he feels that they should be able to participate in the passing of the sacrament, given the fact that Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verse 58, doctrinally states, but neither teachers nor deacons have authority to baptize, comma, administer the sacrament, comma, or lay on hand. Uh, so his beef uh, doctrinally is th- this very verse that teachers nor deacons have the authority to administer the sacrament. He paints it as sort of a traditional thing that the church does by having deacons and teachers pass and prepare the sacrament. And he feels that uh, women should as well. He cites a a incident that took place here in Chicago where I live in High Park which is where Obama used to live. And in that ward, which I did attend, by the way, had attended for about four years, the bishop there allowed the deacon to pass the sacrament trade to a young lady who was stationed just outside the nursery room to pass the sacrament to the nursing mother inside the nursery Room and that was given the stamp of approval by the church. And so he wants to take this example, uh, it's a logical fallacy, and then extrapolate it all the way to the extreme of allowing all young women, full stop, to pass and distribute and prepare the sacrament. Well, that's very interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Doctrine and Covenants, section 20, verse uh, 58. That is a very interesting section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, to have to have it said in uh, the doctrine right like that, that, okay, well, teachers and deacons don't have the authority to administer a sacrament. That's fair. Um, so, you know, the teachers, they do the preparation of it and get the, the cups all filled with water and uh, the, you know, slices of bread uh, put into the trays and then cover up the, the sacrament on the, on the stand beforehand, and then the, the deacons typically pass it. Uh, but there, it, there's really nothing so sacred about, pa- I mean, not to make too light of it or anything, but there's something so sacred about passing it. I mean, I, yeah, I saw exactly what uh, Elder Suicide saw in, in that article uh, about, you know, girls passing it into the mother's room. Although I, I don't know if that's ever really been a, a big thing, but okay. Um, even so, it also mentions people like women passing it uh, between rows and uh, yeah. you know, further down the pew. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what's the difference? You know, yeah. that's a that's a great point, Elder Suicide. That's why your channel, by the way, shout out to your channel. You ask a lot of great questions. You bring a lot of good insights. It's because the deacons, the passing part is not an ordinance. The saying a prayer it, uh, for the priest, that's an ordinance. That's a consecration, yes, correct. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah okay, that's a consecration. That, that requires authority. Just handing someone a trait, that's not an ordinance. Baptizing someone, again, that, in my opinion, that would be an ordinance. But just just handing a tray to someone, that's not an ordinance. And that's why people can pass it 
who uh, or even excommunicated member, if you give them a sacrament tray, they can hand it to someone else down the row, and that person can take it even from an excommunicated member. Yeah, and that doesn't uh, nullify the sacrament or or defile it in any way. I, yeah. I think a lot of times uh, the church will use the uh, studying the ark analogy. I think we've uh, talked about that in a past episode, but you know th- this isn't uh, the same thing as uh, you know, or, or it's on the same line at all. This is uh, this isn't like oh I, I'm going to go and grab hold of that sacrament tray and pass it and usurp a priesthood. Uh, uh, duty. Um, no, th- this isn't what's going on. This is just a matter of, well, you're, you're losing members. Um, you don't have the priesthood uh, holders around to fulfill the responsibilities. Maybe it's time to consider letting uh, some people that uh, you know have their genitals on the inside uh, pass sacrament. Yeah, I mean, there, is there a difference, like in Doctrine and Covenants 2058, is there a difference between when it says neither teachers nor deacons have authority to baptize, administer the sacrament, or lay yeah. on hands, so, and so, passing? Is passing and administering the same thing? Yeah, so that's that's where the that's where the equivocation comes, and equivocation is a fancy word for changing the meaning of words to make it less heinous than what it actually is, or changing the meaning of a word altogether to, to bring out a different uh, emphasis. So let me give you an example um, from both sides of the political spectrum. It's not called war anymore. It's called kinetic action. And it's not called torture. It's called enhanced interrogation, right? And, and so on the left, it's not called, you can't, don't dare call anybody a criminal. They're a justice-involved individual. <laughs> so, that, you know, both the left and the right do this. And so, of course, the church engages in the same type of behavior. If I read it, if I read from the handbook, uh, 18.9.1, it, it states that the bishop holds the priesthood keys for administering the sacrament of the ward. All who participate in preparing, blessing, and passing the sacrament must receive approval from him or someone under his direction. So it appears, you know, and then the priest obviously uh, performs the consecration or the blessing. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, the church... A few sections down, 18.9.3, contradicts itself. Second paragraph, it says, Those who administer the sacrament should do so in a dignified manner, realizing they are representing the Lord. And, of course, it goes on to talk about, you know, being well-groomed, not not wearing too much flashy jewelry, not to over-ritualize it. And that's, of course, directed toward the deacons. And they're talking about administration and their roles. So, uh, you know, they... Uh, as Mormonism usually likes to do is that they they have their cake and eat it too. I'm sure they'll take the position that the bishop is the only person that has the keys to administer it, dispenses that authority, and uh, the distribu- the preparing and, and passing are not necessarily fit under that rubric of that definition. But of course, that's nothing but pure equivocation. Well, uh, also, I think back to the in 2017, the church uh, loosened up on uh, girls in the temple and also uh, on what they could do in the temple. And specifically, I know this sounds kind of weird, but they allowed girls in the temple and baptisms for the dead to hand out towels. 
I know that's that's not very much, but they did allow them to be uh, assist in the temple ritual in at least a small way by handing out the towels to the people who had just done baptisms for the dead. And they also loosened up uh, uh, witnesses for uh, baptisms can now be women. And also in the temple, a witness used to have to be a man. Now it can be a woman. A woman can now assist in a baptism for the dead by at least handing out a towel. So they are making extremely glacially slow progress along these lines that I wouldn't be surprised to see in the future uh, a girl's passing the sacrament. Uh, absolutely, especially with regards to things like, you know, uh, offering prayers in uh, yeah. in sacrament meeting. I mean, that's going back. In general conference. Probably, yeah, in general conference is not nearly so far ago. What was it uh, three or four years ago that they started to allow uh, women to offer prayers? Um, but yeah, I mean, it used to be in sacrament meetings um, back, I think this would be the 60s or 70s when they finally changed that where it, women weren't allowed to pray right yeah i just want to say one last thing about this and that's i always like thought experiments so if heavenly mother came to uh say a sacrament meeting in i don't know in orem utah and just happened to stop by and wanted to pass the sacrament well guess what According to my reading, she would not be allowed to do so. Why? Because she doesn't have the priesthood. So she's an exalted being and the uh, mother of all the spirits of the souls on this earth. But even the lowliest deacon would have more authority to pass the sacrament. The newly minted deacon would have more authority than she would, even though she's uh, apparently a god and an exalted being. That just strikes me as fundamentally uh, confusing. I don't know about you. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, she's, she's in perfect obedience, so she, she, she would be in submission to the priesthood authority. I, I get she would have there to check go. with the local bishop to see uh, if she could even be on the stand. There you go. Okay, so uh, uh, that's a good good analysis, Elder Suicide. Bring up a lot of good points. Let's uh, let's move along here. Our next article is uh, official LDS Church Facebook post encourages apostasy. Uh, this is unthinkable. So this uh, this is on Facebook. We have on July tenth. Uh, 11 o'clock a.m. from the church's official Facebook post. We have a, a, a picture here, a posting here of a woman who discusses uh, Haley. Her name is Haley. And she discusses the challenges that she and her husband are having uh, with, a church, uh, with the church. Let me just read a little bit of it to you. And there's one passage in particular, which I find to be very remarkable. So she said, about seven years ago, my husband came to me and told me that he had been struggling with his beliefs for years and didn't want to go to church anymore. He had served a mission when we had been married in the temple, had four children, and I didn't see this coming at all. I really didn't know what to think. We had recently moved to New York City, and I was so grateful for our time there because living in such a diverse environment had taught me that God loves everyone. She goes on later in the posting, and she says that basically we agreed that our family and our relationship is more important than anything. Uh, AKA it's more important than him coming to church. He's, and this is from her uh, posting. He was still the same person I knew and loved just in a very different place. And it wasn't right choice for us to put a wedge in our marriage because of something he was struggling with. And then she basically goes on to bear her testimony. And there's a particular line that I want to bring out. And she says, you know, we're not worried because there are quote, so many paths back to our father in heaven, so many different timelines and quote, and as Christians, we're called to love people where they're at without expecting them to change. So Heavenly Father has blessed us, basically, and we know we're going to be okay, even though he's not going to church. And implicitly, maybe she isn't either. This is just a very remarkable post to me. Al, do you, was this, uh, am I the only one who finds this post very interesting? Oh, it's absolutely interesting. And the fact that this is like the church openly saying that, uh, 
yeah, you don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. Or, you know, we, we, you know it seems to me like this is a very um, overt way of the church trying to make the move over to mainline evangelical Christianity. Um, and, you know, they, they're distancing themselves from, you know, the, the Mormon rhetoric and, uh, you know, focusing upon the Book of Mormon and, uh, you know, some things like that. So when it comes to like, oh, well, you know, it, it's okay if uh, you, you can still have a, a, a loving marriage that's um, mixed faith. That's a very different message than we've ever had from Salt Lake before. Yeah, and the word Mormon doesn't appear in this posting. She says, as Christians, we're called to love. Whoa, whoa, I thought we were Mormons. I didn't. Yeah. We're as Christians? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, and Elder Suicide, I thought that uh, the, the church teaches that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by him, and that the only way back is by paying tithing, going to the temple, and passing the angels and sent, uh, angels who stand as sentinels, being able enabled to give them the keywords, signs, and tokens to receive your exaltation. Uh, th- is, is that what you were taught? What are you getting from this poem? Um, I'll have to push back on you there. I mean, okay. um, indoctrinally, let's put it this way. So obviously Christianity will state, you know, um, what you just stated there, John 14, 6, that Jesus mm-hmm. is the only way. You know, Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the Christian position. Islam obviously takes the same position with their exclusive um, pro- Muhammad being the final prophet. His revelation, the Quran, uh, given through the angel Jibril, uh, and, and Allah being the supreme God, right? And if you don't believe in the, you don't say the Shahada, you don't you don't do the the, the five pillars, you're not going to the Islamic heaven either. Mm-hmm. Very exclusive. But I, I'm I'm saying this because in contrast to Mormon doctrine, is very what we would call it's not universal. It's called inclusivists in in the scholarly term. Mm-hmm. So that is to say, so that in the terrestrial kingdom. Even Christ is there. Um, and in the celestial kingdom, you even get the Holy Spirit. So you get the Holy Spirit and Christ in the terrestrial, and only the celestial do you get access to the Father. Um, so mm-hmm. it's very inclusivist. Uh, many people, many paths can come. So in a roundabout way, uh, what, what this shows me is an assimilation type of thing. Is that they, Mormon church seems in this in this post alone trying to shy away from exclusivist language and trying to move towards more assimilating language that's very interesting but she did say there are there are so many paths back to our father in heaven yeah. she didn't say god she said the father in heaven and that's where the, er- the, that's where the error is yeah because there's not many paths to the celestial kingdom as you yeah, stated acor- very according clearly, to the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints i thought there was only one yeah Am I am I missing something? This is this post has me a little bit uh, uh, befuddled. Yeah. So when I when I was pushing back, I was just trying to give a, a fuller context. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there's only one way back to the Father, and that's through the faith and obedience to the ordinances of the gospel. Right. So I, I mean, they're trying to. I think you, we just talked about this in the Mormon No More episode. We saw that when you a lot of people, when they have to choose between the church and their family, the church is losing that battle time and time again. And I think this is really a response, uh, maybe even directly to Mormon No More saying, hey, uh, let's let's chill out. Let's let's love our families and we can still uh, be part of the church, maybe not as strongly as we were. 
and maybe not in the same vein as Mormonism used to be a hundred years ago when we were in Zion here in Utah, when everyone was uh, died in the wool and it was a hundred percent ready to go. If you have to choose between the church and your family, we don't want you to have to make that tough choice. Is that what is that? That's what I'm getting at least. Seems to be, and I'm really shocked that this is uh, on the church's uh, Facebook page. You know, that's um, that's a pretty prominent place for it to go with uh, regards to social media. Yeah, it's a pretty unprecedented because it seems to be a condoning, at least in a small way, that yeah. apostasy, uh, that, 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 that you can still apostatize and be okay. Yeah. Whereas rhetoric in times past, even from Brad Wilcox, from Elder Ballard and others, says that when you let go of the iron rod, you've lost everything. That's the Brad mm-hmm. Wilcox quote. Yeah. Check back in a couple of months, make sure this hasn't been redacted in some way or, or removed I'll, it altogether. I'll bet you're exactly right. This is something that feels like uh, they're testing the waters and they're looking to see what kind of uh, response it's going to get what reception it has and then they'll they'll review and maybe so uh we'll, we'll keep our eye out again this is a mormon news roundup this is your official source for uh church of jesus christ news and i just want to mention if you want to get in touch with us it's uh www.mormonnewsroundup.org or send us an email to colob at mormonnewsroundup.org that's k-o-l-o-b at Mormon News Roundup, that's with two N's, uh, .org. And let us know your thoughts about uh, an official LDS Church Facebook post, which seems to be encouraging or at least condoning apostasy. Now, we have uh, two last articles to get through here for uh, for the uh, Mormon News Roundup. And that's uh, this next article, which is uh, truly absurd here. So the uh, this is published on daily.com. Uh, it was published here just a couple of days ago, posted on July 10th, 2022. And the title of the article is, BYU student prank calls his Mormon mom saying he got a stripper pregnant. She told him to get an abortion, sparking a debate on the pro-life movement. So this was put out on TikTok by this famous uh, TikTok guy who does these uh, pranks. He pays people to do all of these incredible pranks, and he supposedly uh, offered this BYU student $500 to prank call. And and this is all linked in our show notes if you want to watch the actual actual, uh, TikTok video. And... (laughs) Getting a BYU, this is from uh, Lexi.99. That's the famous uh, uh, TikTok guy. Uh, what do you think of this This absolutely ridiculous article here that is making the rounds? This is on mainstream news. This is being picked up all over the place. What do you think, Al? Uh, you know, when it comes to pranksters, <clears throat> especially uh, pranksters, that, that seems to be their whole livelihood is uh, making a, a TikTok channel where they're just going to go back and forth making pranks on people. Uh, you got to figure that most of the people in their lives just uh, are are wise to it. <laughs> so, you know, one thought that I've got is maybe his mom knew what he was talking, what, what he was doing, and she was just trying to provide him with some sort of uh, cannon fodder for his uh, for his viewers or subscribers. Um, you know, uh, other thing is, well, it certainly makes things interesting with regards to uh, the church's uh, stance on abortion and the recent uh, overturn of Roe versus Wade by the Supreme Court. So I, I don't know. I mean, if it's legitimate, it seems like she's got um, some very interesting views with regards to the church's stance on abortion. Um, and, you know, then, well, when it, applies to her own kid maybe she wants him to get a, an abortion 
but not anybody else's. And that's what's causing the outrage. Um, uh, elder suicide, do you think this is real? Is this staged or what do you I think? think? I mean, I'm very skeptical myself. I've been a skeptic for, for many years, uh, particularly in Mormonism and out of Mormonism now. And I, I just, I love the, my first impression when I watched the video, the, the kid is acting a little, he's doing too much acting. He's overacting. Okay. Um, and it, to me, that's sort of a red flag. You know, these, these guys have NDAs non-disclosure agreements on, on all sides. And, you know, pr I'll give you a prominent example. Prank Invasion, for example, another famous YouTuber, millions of views. And uh, it was all discovered that very fairly quickly that everything was staged the whole, from, from, the, from the minute go. Uh, so I'm, I'm very skeptical here with this one. Yeah, and when you say BYU student gets gets a stripper pregnant and mom gets abortion, that is just destined to go viral. That's like the two hot topics, sex and abortion and politics and BYU, Mormonism. If you wanted a TikTok video to go viral, that is literally the title that I think would get you the most amount of views. Yeah, I guess some BYU students just really can't handle soaking. <laughs> I, I guess not. I guess I'm sorry I asked now. <laughs> I went there. Sorry. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Okay. Now our yeah, this, take, this takes the Provo push to the new to a new level, I guess. Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. We got too much. We got a lot of salacious content this week. First Zach Wilson and now BYU students and strippers. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, it is it is harder to find a stripper in uh, Utah County. I lived in Utah County for over fifteen years. It is it is tougher to find a stripper in Utah County than it is to find a Lamanite. I can tell you that for a fact. Oh that's that is very true. <laughs> hard to find. I can tell you, hard to find. But yeah. if you find one, you definitely want to get their name and address because, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it could be very valuable in the future. That goes for both of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. Now, our final article here is the uh, Widow's Might Report on Ask Me Anything on Reddit. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Widow's Might Report, you're really missing out. And this was uh, put out six days ago on an Ask Me Anything from the Widow's Might Report. So the Widow's Might Report, Al, what is the Widow's Might Report, first of all? Okay, so the Widow's Might Report is an independent um, uh, entity or group that um, basically goes uh, over the church's financials as close as they can, uh, as closely as they can, based off of uh, publicly available information. And uh, yeah, they, they give their estimates as to what what kind of finances the church is dealing with. Yeah, so we got a nice Q&A and they took about maybe 20 questions through this and they really gave some really detailed answers. If you want to know, if you want to peek behind the opaque curtain, which is the church's finances, I don't think you can find a better source than the Widow's Might Report. Uh, Elder Suicide, were you able to review this Ask Me Anything? And, and what stood out to you from this uh, particular uh, Ask Me Anything? Well, for me, the, the number on the humanitarian aid uh, just a year or two ago was very striking. Uh, you know, the news had been out there for a long time, about a decade and a half, about how much the church has given over the course of a couple of decades. And it, if you extrapolate or make the, do the math, it's very, very paltry amount. Um, I had asked, uh, and somebody can, someone's going to ask me about this post-production post here. I actually confronted L. Tom Perry, the apostle, shortly before I apostatized from the church about this very fact and the spending that was made at the mall right across the street or in the vicinity of the Salt Lake Temple. 
and the contrast between the humanitarian aid and how much was spent in the mall. Uh, he actually became physical with me, actually shoved me and became agitated. This Whoa. is all on video, by the way. I do have a video of this, but I've never released it. You got shoved thinking. by an apostle. <laughs> so th- so you, you guys get the exclusive uh, audio on the story here because I've never shared that story anywhere else. Wow. But uh, that the, the, the ask me anything with the number that they presented, I was quite astounded near a billion dollars is what I read. Is that, is that correct? I'm sorry. Uh, first of all, what the, the question is, how much does the church give for its annual humanitarian? Is that your question? Correct. So I, I, I was reading that it was close to a, a billion dollars in one year. Uh, a couple well, of years. That, we covered this in our previous episodes, Elder Suicide. So for the past, uh, for the approximately, and this is also covered in the Ask Me Anything, for approximately the last, uh, say, 30 years, the church has given about $2.2 billion in total charitable contributions. When you do the math, it averages somewhere between $50 million and $70 million per year in humanitarian efforts. The church releases an annual humanitarian report every single year, uh, which says how much money that they've given out. Now, this last year, for the first time, they included fast offerings as humanitarian giving. See, uh, 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 typically a fast offering is not considered uh, the church giving money because that's a pass through. It's a member giving money and then the church turning around and giving that to another member through the bishop's storehouse or other means. So for this last year, instead of saying their typical number, which was if you strip out the fast offerings, it was $56 million in the humanitarian last year. Instead, they included the fast offerings and that brought that number up to about 960 million or we'll just call it a cool billion dollars so no the church did not increase their charitable giving by a factor of 20 they just included fast offerings in with their charitable donations i understand wow. yeah I, I love, like i said i love equivocation mm-hmm. oh yeah i mean i i uh, i give a lot of money uh, every year to you know different organizations um you know Wells Fargo Bank gets my my mortgage, uh, so you know I can start counting that in there as my donations too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in the Ask Me Anything, he said, uh, the Ask Me Anything people said our view is that humanitarian aid did not jump meaningfully last year, even the church. So even though the church claimed that it did. Now, mm-hmm. just returning that El Tom Perry, if you uh, first of all, that is uh, outrageous and uh, and unacceptable, and mm-hmm. I, I hope that you're okay from um, that kind of situation. I don't want to make light of that, but yeah, if you, you know, do, my shoulder still hurts from it. It's all right. Mm-hmm. If you do want to release that, we uh, we have our website. We would be happy to uh, more than happy to release that. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, so, shoot, uh, the, the worst I ever got was a crusty from uh, Dallin H. Oaks when I uh, would when I cut him off uh, coming out of the church uh, parking garage there on North Temple. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what's other interesting about this report is that uh, the, the, the Widow's Might report talked about how the prophet has total and absolute control over the church finances. And we discussed this in one of our previous episodes of whether the uh, President Nelson could liquidate all of the church's assets and put it into a check account and they uh, checking account. And the uh, Ask Me Anything said that, yes, that's basically possible. Within three months, the church could liquidate 75% of all of its assets and put it into a checking account. And within a year, they could do the entire thing. So, and as we've mentioned, the, the church is a corporation soul, and that basically means that Russell M. Nelson uh, basically has control over absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. Technically, in my opinion, making him one of the wealthiest men on earth and perhaps of all time. Yeah. Uh, shout, out, shout out to Ensign Peak. <laughs> yeah. So they discuss also in this Ask Me Anything, they said, well, Ensign Peak has only admitted to about 50, 40 to $50 billion dollars 
uh, in Enzyme Peak. But the Widow's Might report says that Enzyme Peak is worth $150 billion. How do you come up with that since the church has only admitted a third of that? And they go through the complete rationale of how they know based on uh, uh, the whistleblower leak, which is public knowledge, not yeah. some, uh, you know, I know it is a leak, but it is public because it's been made to the IRS of how the church has $150 billion in Enzyme Peak. It's only the $40 billion that's in publicly traded U.S. stocks that the church is admitted to. Well, there's international stocks, there's bonds, there's uh, commercial real estate investment, and there's a bunch of other things in Enzyme Peak other than just U.S. domestic stocks. That's why it's worth $150 billion. And we also covered this in a previous episode where David Bednar was asked about Enzyme Peak, uh, talking about the $100 billion, and believe me, he did not deny it at all. So uh, anything else you gleaned from this Ask Me Anything report, Al? Uh, anything jump out to you? Um, you know, you, you just hit on the one that uh, jumped out to me where they asked oh, if if, uh, if President Nelson wanted to, could he uh, declare a sell everything and he could pocket it all? And yeah, uh, that was, uh, but we, we also talked about that before, about what it meant to have a, uh, a sole um, owner of a corporation, that that's exactly what that means. Um, yeah, I, I believe that the response was something that, you know, it's not quite so simple, but yeah, in a roundabout way, I guess he could do it. Yeah, and they also talked about tithing, uh, how much tithing the church brings in, and also how much fast offering the church brings in. We've covered this in previous episodes, but they, they reiterated, reiterated their stance that the church now has admitted in this last humanitarian report for the first time, the church, well, the first time since 1915, has admitted that they're bringing in about a billion dollars, just a little bit short of that in fast offerings per year. If you combine that with the widow's might report of the estimated five to six billion dollars in tithing, the church is bringing in somewhere between seven to eight billion dollars a year between fast offerings and tithing and all donations. And that's running off an operating budget of approximately seven to $8 billion. And this Ask Me Anything goes to the rationale behind that. So uh, it's just a really, really good look at uh, uh, church finances. And it's all from publicly sourced information. They defend their rationale of how they came up with these numbers based on many different metrics, not just one thing, not just one thing that they found, but based on a number of different sources. What I also found real quick fa fascinating is they estimated the tithing in a number of different ways, not just from the leak, but also from the amount of active members, the average uh, amount that each of these members makes, what percentage of members pay tithing. And you can get to that tithing figure a number of different ways. And it all seems to be coming around around the five to $7 billion mark. Yeah, this whole thing just blows my mind when we talk about billions I and mean, that's a thousand millions is, is one billion then you got multiples of that i mean it's just a ridiculous amount of money yeah sure is um it's definitely worth a read any other comments on uh uh on this elder suicide anything else yeah it's uh you know sometimes as a christian i say to myself man i i wish it was true uh you know you see the the church the Christian church always, always begging for money. They're always talking about, you know, tithes, offerings, and all. You never hear this from the, from the Mormon church, from the LDS church. And um, they've done really well in stewarding their money, yep. multiplying it. You take it from, we'll take it from the Kirtland Safety Society bankruptcy to what yes. Ensign <laughs> Peak uh, touts and touts now. It's, it's quite impressive. As a finance major myself, having a look at the documents, they look as real as they possibly look, uh, unless they're Photoshop or doctored in some way. They look pretty good. 
Yeah, yeah they, they do look pretty good. Just real quick, you know, uh, the, the church in Nauvoo was in extreme financial difficulties when Joseph Smith died. You know, it, the church was not worth very much at all during that time. And the church barely made it out to uh, Utah in 1899. That's the famous Lorenzo Snow. And remember the prophecy of the rain? That's when the church's assets were being seized by the federal government for polygamy and other things. The, the, the federal government was seizing assets and then the church was having to lease back their own buildings to be able to hold uh, services. The the federal government was uh, taking tithing from the saints. And that's where we got the Lorenzo Snow. And remember, the tithing started to be enforced in 1899. Around 1899, the church was worth zero. They were not worth one penny. In fact, they were negative assets. So all of the growth that has taken place in the church is from 1900 on. They didn't have any assets up until that point. And also, if you take a look back in 1959, that is the last year that the church re released robust financial reports. That's because in 1959, once again, the church was going insolvent. Um, this is covered in uh, – <laughs> that's the reason that the church commissioned that Lorenzo Snow tithing video to begin with. So around, uh, around about 1960, the church was worth almost nothing once again. They were going to have difficulty making payroll. The church had built a lot of buildings, and they were uh, really in really financial straits. It was an emphasis on tithing starting in around 1960 that brought the church back out. So all of the growth of the $250 billion that the church is now worth, which is documented in the Ask Me Anything, Widows Might Report, all of that is 1960 and beyond. Wow. It's all in the last 60 years that it grew that much. So they're probably better. Than, they're probably equal to Goldman Sachs day traders. I mean, on the same level at the very least. For sure. Yeah, they've been very, you know, it, it started with N. Eldon Tanner, who was a great businessman. He brought in proper accounting principles and it continued on with Gordon B. Hinckley, who was also very shrewd on these things. So, um, I mean, the church, the real, I, I mentioned this before, the real stone cut out of the mountain without hands that was in the book of Daniel, that was King Nebuchadnezzar. That was not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Because the growth rate of the church is not growing. It's not growing to fill the whole earth. It's In fact, the growth rate of the church has declined every year for the last 10 years. The global rate of growth in the world's population is growing at a larger rate than church growth rate. Okay, so that can't be the stone. But I'll yeah. tell you what the real stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands. That's that tithing stone. When that tithing stone was released by Lorenzo Snow in 1899 in St. George, that truly has filled the whole earth because the church is the number one owner of real estate in the world and has more assets than anyone. That's the real stone that was uh, seen by Nebuchadnezzar, in my opinion. <laughs> that fits. <laughs> And interesting, that's still, exeg interesting exegesis, I'll have to say. Yeah. yeah, well, when you have $250 billion a year and you only did this last year, how much did they do in humanitarian? $56 million. So if you have $250 billion in total investments and assets in real estate and you only give out $56 million, now, I know the church obviously has a, a number of expenses. Temples have expenses. BYU has expenses. But the total amount of uh, church expenses is only about $8 billion. Okay, so if you have eight billion and you're worth two hundred and fifty billion, that stone is going to continue to grow for uh, the foreseeable future. They said that Enzyme Peak was supposed to be for a rainy day. Well, we had a huge rainy day when the pandemic came. Did they dip into Enzyme Peak? No, they did not. Unless you count the uh, two hundred fifty million dollars settlement for the Boy Scouts, I guess you could call that a rainy day. But for the saints that were hurting, they did not dip into it because that is not the purpose of the Enzyme Peak Fund. Yeah. yeah, at least they flew the, the missionaries back home, I guess. That was their big HR, uh, sorry, PR. 
That's true, elder suicide. But don't forget that as soon as the pandemic lifted, they raised the rates of the uh, a missionary rate. It went from four hundred dollars a month to five hundred dollars a yeah. month. And that happened. I want to say right at the end of the pandemic. Yeah. So I mean, the church could write. I, I just go back to this. The church could write the check for all of these missionaries. If you take all the missionaries that there currently are, there's fifty eight thousand missionaries. And the cost for them is $500 a month. If you do the math, the church could just write, it's about a $350 million missionary effort. That is a rounding error when it comes to the amount of money that the church the, the church makes. They could write a check for all of those missionaries easily, easily. It wouldn't, you know, it would only be a 3% more, uh, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here, but it would. the, the church's operating budget is about $7 billion. If you add $350 million to that, that's not even 5% more money. It's not a big deal. It could easily be done. And Certainly good. Commercial paper, you can you can recoup that back just sitting on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on this? Ask me anything, guys, or uh, we beat that one up enough? No, that sounds great. Okay, we're getting close here to wrapping things up here. I just want to talk about our Patreon. Uh, we put on a, a few new uh, tier levels on a Patreon if you want to come and support us there. Uh, Patreon.com backslash Mormon News Roundup. And I also just posted an article there for the first time about how I was healed by Spencer W. Kimball as an infant. So I, I talk about this in the article, but I grew up in the same ward, guys, as Spencer W. Kimball. He was right down the street from me. This is back in the days before the president of the church lived in downtown Salt Lake City in the tax-exempt uh, condo that's uh, right next to uh, yeah. the, uh, the yeah, uh, conference just, center. Yeah, it's just east, that was built. Yeah, just east of there. Um, yeah, at the top four. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he lived in his home. He had security there. But, you know, he attended our ward from time to time. And that's what the Patreon article talks about is how I was healed as a baby by Spencer W. Kimball. I uh, suffer from a very rare uh, disease. It was called failure to, failure to thrive syndrome. So if you want to learn more about that, just go on to Patreon, become a lowest level tier, and you can unlock that. I also want to discuss, uh, I'm bringing a new channel in conjunction with the uh, with Steve Pinecker from Mormon uh, Book Reviews. And it's going to be called Mormon movie reviews on YouTube. So basically what we're going to do here is we're going to take you back to the archive of nostalgic Mormon videos to bring you some of the most entertaining and obscure videos officially produced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, BYU, and unofficial LDS-centric filmmakers. The show is going to highlight the wonderful, faith-promoting cinematic gems right along with a few cringe-worthy whoppers. I mean, you're not going to read about these hard-to-find movie reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, we're hopefully going to be releasing this within about a week. Uh, join us for a Mormon cinematic adventure and watch to see what master pieces or flops we uncover when we queue up the beta and VHS tapes. Uh, how do you like some of those old uh, uh, Mormon videos that were produced in the 60s, guys? Oh, my goodness. I, I grew up uh, the child of a seminary teacher. So, like, you know, we, we'd go over after hours to so my dad could finish up work at the seminary and he'd sit in the library with the, with the VCR and we'd just go through tape after tape. This is going to be an interesting one. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're, we, there's a lot of great ones, and there's a lot of tear jerkers, and then there's a lot of there's a lot of duds, and there's a lot of entertaining content. We're going to be yes, reviewing sir. all. In fact, our first uh, review is going to be on the Windows of Heaven, which is that old classic mm -hmm. that produced in 19, uh, 1963. Yeah, I, was the, I was in the pre-existence at that time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now our our final segment here, Al. We have a new segment here that we're going to wrap up on here. We got a lot going on on this podcast, but our new segment here is that we're going to release the poll, the Mormon News Roundup poll of the week for this particular episode, and that is available only on Spotify. 
So uh, let's let me walk you guys through this poll. I want to see which one uh, that that you guys uh, let's take this poll together. I want to get you guys' feedback. Okay. So what best explains why BYU alum and NFL quarterback Zach Wilson is trending? So that's what our listeners can go out there and interact with us. We want to know your thoughts. Why is he trending? This ought to be good. Okay, Al, will you read us the uh, number one? Yep, will do. Number one, the Lord works in mysterious ways while Zach Wilson works his mom's best friend. Hey, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that is why he's trending. I'm not not really sure. Okay, that could be be it. I knew this was going to be good. Number two, perfect example of God using the weak things of the world to grow his only true church. Mm-hmm. Hashtag Zach Wilson Moroni's promise. Wait a minute. Zach Wilson Moroni's promise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get that to trend. I, I, that has yeah. a nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. That needs to definitely become a thing. That, that, yeah, we're, we're, to our listeners out there, we're going to be tracking this hashtag. Zach Wilson Moroni's promise. Check that hashtag. It's going to go global. I have a feeling. <laughs> Okay, what else? Number three, throwing bombs, banging moms. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, there's a lot, to, there's a lot <laughs> of truth to that. Uh, number four, it may be the off season, but Zach Wilson is still getting plenty of action. Yeah, uh, he is. He's getting a lot more. He's got a lot more action in high school than I got in my entire life. Uh-huh, I'll say. Uh, number five, he's a 10, but he doesn't wear garments on the job, and he works on Sundays. Oh, that's... That's mm-hmm. sad, but true. Yeah, so those, uh, those my maids out there, I, I guess they call them something else nowadays, but yeah, they're, they're just going to have to find somebody else that's more temple-worthy. Uh, yeah. Number six, looks like Zach Wilson was bearing more than his testimony. Yeah, uh, he was bearing <laughs> quite a bit, I guess. Mm-hmm. And number seven, gives a whole new meaning to every member a missionary. Yeah, it does. Uh, Elder Suicide, uh, if you had to take this poll, which one would you select there from? Uh, what best explains why BYU alum and NFL quarterback Zach Wilson is trending? Did we lose him? I'm taking number six. Number six. six. I'm taking okay. number six. Uh, for the, for like those Zach that, Wilson was bearing more than his testimony. Yeah, for those that are subscribers to my channel and smash that mm-hmm. subscribe button, you know, they're, uh, they'll know why I picked number six. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Now, we are on Twitter. Uh, we're at, at News Mormon, and we're also on Facebook, uh, YouTube. And uh, we want to thank uh, uh, Elder Suicide. We've linked to your channel, which is Mormon Suicide. Uh, we've got that in our show notes. Uh, is there anything else, guys, or, or have we ruminated enough on the Great and Spacious Beehive? No, just want to throw a quick uh, shout out and uh, thank you to our sponsor, uh, Signature Books, and also to Weird Alma for allowing us to use his music for our intro and outro. Um, we always get a big kick out of those. And thanks a lot, Elder Suicide, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Gentlemen, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yep. I have to have you on here again. Thank you. Thank you. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.